0: Would
1: you like to take part
0: in Secret Centre? That's all I'd like to take part in is having a taste of that little chocolate you got there, right, right. Yep, let see it.
1: Hello and welcome back to the What the Fork podcast. We've got another something special today on the show with myself, as former Wales, Fulham, and Manchester City defender Kid Simons, who, of course was the assistant manager at Sunland. Firstly, Kit, how are you?
0: Very good, thank you. Not bad at all. And for those
1: unaware, what have you been up to since you've left Sunderland?
0: Um, well, sort of immediately, I spent, um, spent about six weeks up in Tynemouth where I was, uh, I was renting a flat, which was, which was lovely. Yep. Um, and then I went off to China. Me and Chris went over to China for a year um, and we came back last May um since then not been doing an awful lot to be honest. Obviously getting out to games and um a little bit of media stuff here and there, but not an awful lot. Um just waiting for the next opportunity to to get back in, really. China was um yeah, it was a really <clears throat> interesting experience and, and we went for the experience as much as anything else. And yeah. um yeah, a lot of lot of fantastic things out there. You know, we actually love being out there. Uh, we were based in Beijing. Um really enjoyed the city um a lot of good people we met out there and you know we the the best thing the most pleasing thing from my point of view is we we could really we made a real effect on our local on our chinese players yeah um which a lot of people were saying that would be difficult to do and obviously it's a, a cultural uh situation and problem and you you can't change the way people people think out there and things like that but the our, our group of local players were brilliant, I've got to say. And we were told when we first went there that they were quite a, a difficult, troubled group. Um, but they were brilliant. I've got to say, the local boys were fantastic and really bought in to the way we worked and what we were trying to do.
1: I think, obviously, when you first went over there, there's a lot of people who are going to China with players, management. There's a few people like going over there and sort of experience it and stuff like that now. Some people might look at it and think it's a bit of a strange move for some players, uh, some people may think it's a, a brave move, but now that you've been there and you've experienced it, can you understand why people are going over there?
0: Um, I think, yeah, just, just in general. I think if if you're of the mindset you want to get out and explore the world a little bit and see different cultures and experience them and things like that, then great. You know, I mean the the obvious thing is people are ah, people are gone for the money. Now, there is a a part of that, you know, you don't you expect to get paid. Yeah. Um <laughs> which sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. <laughs> but um so the money does play a part, you know. I think anyone who says differently would be would be fibbing completely. But it's, it's, it should be, and certainly for us, it was a lot more than that as well. You know, we went for an experience, and we certainly got that. We met, like I say, so many fabulous people over there, and you know, a lot of the guys we still keep in touch with um, are over in China now. So it was it was a great experience all round, and I can see why other people are doing it. You know, there's so many people from across seas coming to to the, the British League now, things like that. So why not go out and explore a little bit and look at other, you know, other countries, other cultures, other, other styles of football?
1: Yeah, of course. And talking about challenges, um, I mean, I'm a Sunland fan, so I, I think I know what Sunland is like at the best of times, let alone the worst of times. But let's take you back to, I think, if my memory serves me right, it was 19th of November 2017, right? And I promise I haven't Wikipedia that, but I actually have. Um <laughs> Yourself and Chris Coleman, I think for want of a, I think you have got sort of legendary status in your home country because where you, where you went with Wales, how far you got, following the Euros, everything with Wales is fantastic. People are looking on at Wales as one of the, the better teams in the world when before that, they couldn't even qualify for sort so, tournaments before yourself and Chris took over. So a club in crisis comes along. The, the biggest crisis I've probably ever had was Sunland, and inquires about yourself and, and Chris's services. So I think I'll put this in the best way that I can, but quite simply, why, why Sunland?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, Chris had decided it was it was time for us to leave Wales for mm-hmm. uh, you know several different reasons, and um, there were there were talk of a few different jobs, obviously, but Sunderland one, he, he just rang me up, sort of a little bit out of the blue, and just said. Um, I really fancy it. I'm like, right, okay. And obviously, I knew all about the club. i have been up there and played um, played there. I think I've obviously been at the old Roker Park. And I think, I think I was the first official game or league game in the stadium when I played for Man City. At centre-half, um, so you did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I played in that game. So I knew what the club was all about, um, having experienced that. And I, I knew it was a massive club with, with fantastic support. I'd been up with the Fulham Reserves and things like that. So i have been all around the training ground. I knew what a great sort of facility that was. Um, and yeah, Chris just said, uh, I, fancy, I fancy something. He spoke to Martin Bain and um, said, I fancy it. I said, right, no problem. Listen, I'm, you know, and I'd always told him I'd back him and go wherever he wanted to go. Um, if we're staying together, I'd sort of back his judgment. And if he fancied it, right, let's crack on and do it. Um, and so... Long and short of it, suddenly we, we, we ended up, we had sort of brief talks. They weren't very in-depth talks really at all with Martin, who was, uh, who was very persuasive, I must say, Martin Bain. Um, and we just bought into it. We knew it was going to be, we we're under no illusions. We knew it was going, going to be very, very tough. But we honestly thought with a, a little bit of help and a little bit of luck, we'd have just enough to keep the club up. You know, that's what we honestly thought going into it. Now, as things transpired, we didn't get any help and we, and we certainly didn't get any luck so um <laughs> it was it was unfortunate but as far as taking the job it, it was it was a brilliant brilliant opportunity it's a fantastic football club, bit of a mess obviously some of the things off the off the park and some of the things yeah. on the field um but still a brilliant brilliant football club, great support and some some great people working working there as well who we, we got to meet and got on like brilliantly with.
1: I suppose I haven't um, I hadn't planned on asking this but I'm going to ask it anyway because you've just you've literally triggered my memory I was at the game in the 3-1-97 opening game of the stadium like. so you would have been playing at centre-back so you would have been would you have been marking Quinney that day then?
0: I think it was and Kev Phillips up front I think and uh, it was Yeah, I think, I think I had a bit of a stinker if I remember was like, <laughs> it wasn't one of my better games that's for sure um, um, yes yeah, so no. I, I would have been marking <laughs> Quinney Quinny, Quinny. I sort of um, you know, I knew well. I used to, obviously, we, we played together at Man City, so yeah. we were quite, uh, I mean, we. I, I think I, I rented his old flat off him when I first moved to Manchester. So um, I know Niall pretty well. And yeah, it's so up against him and uh, him and Super Kev. We obviously went on to do great things together.
1: I think that was his, I think that, yeah, it was actually, that was Kevin Phillips' uh, league debut, funnily enough, because I think it was King Cladsey, I think, that got the, the equaliser from the penalty. Did you speak to Quinny before going to Sunderland?
0: Um... No, I didn't actually, strange enough. Although he did come back into my, uh, my football career. Because when I was at Fulham and mm-hmm. I got, I was caretaker manager of Fulham and I had to sit before some sort of panel to do like, almost like an interview procedure. But it was they like they just put together this panel of people. Like I said, Danny Murphy was on it, Brian McBride. And Niall was on that. So he was part of uh, the interview com- like Pano, if you like, for me to get the Fulham job. I was doing the job on a caretaker basis and we were on a really good run and winning loads of games. So it was almost a foregone conclusion. I was going to get the get the, uh, get the job because it was going so well. Um, but yeah, so I came came in contact with Quinny again then after a number of years, so it was good to see him. But um, no, I didn't actually ring him about the Sunderland job. Um, strange enough, me and Chris, we bumped into Borley. We watched... Um, when we were still in charge of Wales, we, we watched Sunderland play down at Brentford. And um, Bordy obviously I knew Bordie from Portsmouth days. Yeah. And then he came to Fulham as well with, uh, with me and Chris for a little bit from Sunderland when, uh, when Paul Bracewell was in charge at uh, Fulham. Yeah. Um, so we both knew Bordie well. We bumped into him uh, down at Brentford. and He was obviously waxing lyrical about the club as a whole, but saying it is a bit of a mess and it's a big job. Uh, Simon was obviously in charge at the time, Simon Grayson. And he was saying it's, it's a real tough gig, but a brilliant, brilliant football club. And that had always sort of remained in our, our heads a little bit. And I think that played a part in, in Chris's thinking about taking the job as well. But I
1: think when you're speaking to someone like Kevin Ball about Sunderland, it's really difficult to not be won over by that, isn't it? Because Ball is just Sunderland through and through.
0: Well, he is. Um, but, you know, any, anyone who's who's a Sunderland fan or become a Sunderland fan. It's, it's, they're so passionate about their football club. Um, I'm uh, Again, from back from Portsmouth days, um, I was a bit younger, but I knew Kevin Dillon quite yeah. well, uh, or pretty well, and, and got to know him better over the years as well. Obviously, a mad Sunderland fan, Phil, and he phoned me up and as soon as I got, you know, Chris got the job and I, I went in there and again, waxing lyrical about the club and how brilliant it would be and thank goodness they got people that he knew cared sort of because he knew, he knew me and, and knows Cookie a bit um, cared about the club and, and wanted what's best for the club and it, he was really supportive just as a you know he's, he's a great football person as well but uh, a Sunderland fan and, and desperately wanted it to go well um, but obviously unfortunately he didn't quite quite out of plan
1: yeah he's, there's a there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons why I think it didn't and I think We'll probably get to a lot of them, but how early in the process were you made aware of Netflix involvement in the season?
0: Yeah, well, it was quite, I say, the the contract talks or negotiations for me and Chris were fairly brief. Yeah. Because Chris had just sort of basically decided, right, I I fancy this, let's do it. So so it wasn't too in depth. But then, right at the very end of the negotiations, Martin, uh, with Martin Bain, Martin just dropped in. Oh, by the way, something I've got to tell you. So we'd already agreed to (laughs) to come. He he dropped in. He said, "It's not my decision. There's nothing I can do about it." Obviously, it's coming from the owner. Um, We've got to do this Netflix thing. So I see me and Chris's faces were like, "Oh God, here we go." (laughs) So, um, so he was. I say, did well, Martin, to leave it to the last minute. He he told us afterwards, "I just slipped my mind." We're like, "Yeah, right, good one." but he, um yeah so he told us very just as we literally had the pen in our hand about to put the pen to paper something I've got to tell you boys and oh here we go and uh, and that was it about the netflix so yeah we got literally last seconds we got to know about it but listen it is what it is and i think also it, it was intrusive and it was a bit of a pain but the guys doing it um were excellent yeah. i got to say they were really good uh which made it sort of palatable if you like, and we we got through it because you know the the guys sort of up there heading it up and the cameramen and people like at were really good people, so um that made it made it sort of as least painful as it could have been
1: i mean i I wouldn't have wanted to be a manager or assistant manager with cameras around all of the time, um but I think it did a good job
0: yeah no I'll say listen though they, they were good guys um Full well, boys. They were they were good lads, and um, it wasn't ideal. We wouldn't have chosen to do it, but people do want to see that that little behind the scenes bit and things like that. Also, a reflection of of the city as well, and how much it you know the football club means to the people of Sunderland. You know, yeah. and you know, good or bad, it, it, when when things are going well or not, it has such a huge impact and influence on everything um and so for I think for a lot of football fans they love seeing that sort of thing and even not non football fans watching something like that would be amazed at the at the the sort of draw and the pull that you know 11 blokes kicking a ball around what difference <laughs> that can make to, to a city, you yeah. know, literally. And then it's fascinating, really, when you think about it. It's crazy. But this, this is football. And this is why we all love it.
1: Yeah, that's why we're all sad that it's not on at the moment, isn't it? I suppose it's... Uh, yeah, exactly. You really exactly. feel it when it's gone. But um, obviously, I know you didn't mention it, but someone must have mentioned the, the, the secret office Secret Santa moment to you and that part in the, the TV series. Has anyone ever asked you about that?
0: Secret Santa? Now, I was, go on,
1: what was that? There's a bit where you go in, Right it is quite funny to be fair because it's it's Chris's fault and it's when you, when you first go in and you get welcomed into the club and you're going into sort of all the offices and the the secretaries and the SLOs and things like that. And one of the girls asks, um, would you like to be part of the, um, Office Secret Santa and rather than answering Chris just goes oh is that a Freddo and takes the Fredo and completely manages to get himself out of the Office Secret Santa just by de- like deflecting completely I always wondered if you, you actually got involved in the Office Secret Santa did that actually come to fruition?
0: I don't do you know what I don't think he did I can't remember doing it but that's that's Cookie deflecting I've that's had a lifetime of this honestly <laughs> that's what he does all the time yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm well used to that
1: you you walk into the, the club as it is, at that point it was an absolute mess. Um I think yeah. it got worse than it that ever probably has been. But what was the dressing room like when you arrived? Uh, <laughs>
0: um it was it was the strangest <clears throat> uh most sort of complex dressing room you could ever imagine. Obviously we've been around football a lot, mm. um, many different clubs as players and, and coaching and managing and all this sort of thing. It was the strangest Sort of collection of 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 players as as a group that you you, you know that we've ever come across or witnessed in in all our time in football. It was you know it's all I don't know. It's just a, a, yeah, it's real. There are a lot of good individuals there. A lot of real good lads yeah. within that group. Don't get me wrong, um, but you know, you, it wasn't it wasn't sort of a, a group of players that had been put together. It's just a mishmash with all these yeah. different characters and. So many issues, you know, that you always get a few, <laughs> a few problems and issues at football clubs. But this was just incredible. You know, there's so many different situations and issues and, and problems um, more than you could ever imagine. And it, it, it was it was quite sort of incredible to deal with it all on a, on a daily basis.
1: You sort of look into that. I'm looking through the squad just now. And I mean, most of them come to mind for some of wrong reasons some some for the right reasons and it really really was it really was a a, a mishmash of players from so many different periods of time with Sullend and I suppose that's sometimes what you're left with isn't it when you've been relegated and you've been through the best part of what six to seven managers and what felt like 18 months but it must have been over the course of about three or four years um it's sometimes that's what you're left with isn't it you're left with sort of a mishmash of players that were brought for very different reasons to the club
0: what well it was and all these different these different managers and then different directors of football or wherever heads of recruitment, whatever their roles were, brought in all their own players. And, you know, with different things in mind, clearly. And so it literally was a mishmash of players. I mean, I remember we walked in, the first thing we walked into was Didier and Dong just didn't turn up, didn't come back from international duty. (laughs) And like... Where is it? We're like we don't know, we can't get hold of him.
1: He likes doing that. Wow. He's done that a few times. Well,
0: this well, exactly, exactly. And that was that wasn't the only problem we had with, with Didier for sure. No. Um but that sort of set the scene with that one. You know, one of one of the I mean we were again, going back to the when we saw Borley down at Brentford when we were um uh, still doing Wales and um Didier in that game he got good energy and legs and you are thinking, well, he's one of the few maybe that's around. It's got good energy and legs and you know, you need an element of that within your side. So you're looking, thinking he's, he could be a player who could play quite a big part, but we I don't know, we never had him we literally never had him. And then when he did come back and was fit and actually played for us, he got sent off away to Cardiff in the first half. So it was like, I don't know. It was just one, literally one thing after another with, with him but then also with, uh, with with quite a few of the players for all different reasons and different mm. issues and different problems, um, which made things very, very difficult. How yeah. important
1: was it building a relationship with the likes of like John O'Shea and Lee Catamore at the beginning of your tenure? Because do, do you sort of look as an assistant manager and as a manager, do you look at like leaders in the team and say, w- we kind of need them to be on board with us and hopefully like, for want of a better word, especially at the moment, infect the rest of the team?
0: yeah that's what that's what you hoped for um and straight away, the boys you mentioned mm-hmm. so john o'Shea was was excellent straight away cats exactly the same um you can tell both of them were just good honest lads yeah um good players, don't get me wrong but but good honest lads, good characters, and that's what we we were crying out for, but unfortunately there weren't there weren't enough of them, yeah. You know, um, and that was that was a problem. They were, and I think also with those two boys and, you know, then the young sort of George Honeyman coming through, who was a similar type of ilk. Um, but certainly Shazie and Cats and had probably been having these problems for a long, long time. Yeah. And I think, and it's wearing. I think, you know, when you're trying to do things in the right way and you want the best thing for the club, but maybe you've got, you got some people around you who clearly don't share the same values as yourself it, it becomes draining, you know I think and it's it's hard for them but they I've got to say those again those two boys were were excellent all the time we were there um they they gave it their all and never once shirked or hid away, which certain players did and it was would be quite easy to do those two certainly never did not at any stage
1: they would be the wrong person to point the fingers at, right.
0: Oh, massively! It's, it's the exact opposite, and like I say, they're probably the easy target because they always put themselves forward yeah. and wouldn't hide away, wouldn't shirk. So they're the ones that are always seen. This unfortunately, is unfortunately is how football can often go. I, I, you know, I've experienced it myself through playing. So I knew exactly what they were going through. I, when I, my sort of final season at Man City, I had a really tough time, um, and I was like team captain and stuff, and. I'd do every supporters do going and I'd, you know, I'd put myself... Forward. I wouldn't hide away at all. I was having an absolute stink of myself. The club was having a terrible time. I was having an awful time. But you go one or two ways and you know, I'm sort of, I think, a similar type of character to, to Shazie and Katz to an extent and I wasn't going to hide away from it. I was going to put myself forward. But then you get extra criticism then, whereby some people maybe just slip away, go under the radar don't want to be seen, don't want to put themselves forward, and they sort of get away with it, but you're thinking, is is that the sort of person you want to be or how you want to do it? And certainly I didn't and and those two boys didn't either. They they always sort of fronted everything up. And it was it was tough to do that. You know, the yeah. easiest thing was to to sort of get out, out of the firing line, if you like. Um, but they didn't. And so I think full credit to them for that. And so they're certainly the two of the wrong people to be given any criticism to. Um, when it comes to the the bigger picture,
1: the players that seem to really react to to Christian yourself's management definitely George Honeyman, Joel Asorol, uh, Josh Madger. As much as he didn't really burst into life until the season after, could you see George Honeyman being the captain?
0: Not a surprise at all, you know. He was, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I used to call George, obviously, massively looked up to, to Cats, yeah. He was called it was. Cats and kitten. They used to call little George like kitten because <laughs> he was he was such a mini cat. And you know, we were all you know certainly me and Chris were were really pleased with this because you, you think you're thinking, well, you know, George is looking up to a good role model, a good sort of senior pro, and one of the good guys. So it was not obvious, well, fairly obvious to be honest, that that he was going to go the right way and and have the right characteristics to to be a future Sunderland captain. So. You know, obviously, our time was up, and we we went on a merry little way. But you know, we kept in touch with what was going on, and yeah, you know, certainly, me and Chris were both delighted to see George made made captain of the club.
1: You had Lyndon a little bit younger and maybe a little bit rawer, but could you see his potential then? And could you see he's also got the right attitude as well?
0: Yeah, he was a good good boy, Gucci. He was, he was going through a little stage uh, with us. He was a bit frustrated because he wasn't. He, st- he started quite a lot of games and played a lot of football under us, but he wasn't necessarily going to be in that starting eleven all the time. Yeah. And he was a bit frustrated because he was just sort of on the cusp of it. You know, he was, I see, he was a young boy then, um, doing well, great potential. And again, one who who just wanted to go and play football. He's got a real enthusiasm for football. But as you said, he was, quite raw and still sort of learning certain aspects of the game and developing but again not surprised that he stayed and gone on and done very well for the club because he, he, he had the right attributes and the biggest thing was, was probably the right mentality yeah. as well um, and desire and certainly actually cared about the club which is, uh, is, is great to see so again he's another one who I'm, I'm really pleased to see going on and doing so well.
1: Yourself and Chris give a chance to sort of almost immediately was, was Ethan Robson now there's reasons why he hasn't kicked on so far. Obviously, he's been on loan and done really well, but he, he has suffered really badly with injuries. But if Ethan Robson can, can stay fit, do you see him being a player that could come into the fore as well for Sullen?
0: Yeah, again, he was, he was a young boy coming through, but had a good, good attitude, good mentality. And like I say, it was, it was a troubled, difficult group that we inherited. And there were lots of issues and <coughs> uh, agendas within that and, and problems. So, you know, players who had a real good desire mentality were great for us, as far as we could see. And, you know, he was a young boy coming through, but some games he played really, really well for us. Now, he was a young boy, and he wasn't going to be able to sustain that week Mm -hmm. in, week out. We knew this, but we were so sort of short on players who were available or making themselves available, who were fit or whatever. So we had to look at all the options we, we could have. So we were sort of pushed a little bit to play him, at times, but also other times he was in on, on merit because he he did well. And again, yeah, now I've not seen a lot of him since since we've left the club, but injuries can, you know, obviously real, really hamper young players developing yeah. and coming through. But from what a what member of him, what what we had there and then, he's got every chance of kicking on and becoming a really good player. He's a decent athlete, good size and stature about him, clever footballer, you know, had a good football brain. But also a bit of a tenacity and a, a yeah. will to win. So uh, again, he's he's another another one of the young boys there who who did well and you know hopefully can kick on.
1: And talking about the sort of the issues that were there, like I say, there was there was many. We could do a podcast on certain players. Just a straightforward question with no bias from my side. What what was your relationship like with Jack Woodwell?
0: The actual relationship with him on a day-to-day, seeing him to talk to, w- was okay. He he's seemed to be quite a, a decent boy, but we, we never had him available. I remember the first training session we took was the day after the Millwall game, mm-hmm. which I went up to watch. And I mean, that just, that almost summed up the season in that one game. I don't even remember it. It was like oh, 2-2. And I was trying was like to forget four it. Four goalkeeping <laughs> errors. And Duncan does his cruise shirt. Duncan what more. Johnny Williams dislocates his shoulder. To, yeah. And and Robin froze in too. So I'm looking and thinking, I was on the phone to Chris almost, mate, cancel your flight. (laughs) 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 Um, But that sort of summed up. So the day after that, we did a training session. And it's our first training session, obviously. And um, Chris flew up in the morning uh, and signed the contracts obviously the early doors. And then we we took training from there. And um, Jack Rodwell trained. And um, we're looking, thinking he, he looked like a thoroughbred racehorse. You know, he's got great size, stature, moves really well. And we played Villa, I think it was, I don't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but it was Villa in midweek anyway. And um, me and Chris looked at each other and we picked up injuries, obviously, in the game. We're like, oh, he's starting on, on Tuesday at Villa. Ten minutes before the end of this training session, he, he walked in with a hamstring. And we didn't see him for like a few months after that. And you're like, it's so frustrating because there was a good player in there. Yeah. Without a doubt, there was a good player and one that we needed. You know, the club was desperately in need, but he was, was just, for whatever reasons, never available. A real frustrating situation for us with him because we knew there was a good player there. We knew he was taking up a lot of money as well on yeah. uh, at the budget. It was like, it was a lose-lose for us. You know, we got a player who's not playing for us and never available, but also he's taken up a big, we can't get anyone else in because we had no money to buy players. So it had to be free money up off the wage bill to get loans in. And we, we didn't have that. It was a difficult, very frustrating situation.
1: How difficult was that January transfer window? Because, I I mean, looking back at it, thinking that the players that we brought in off the top of my head, uh, we had obviously Ashley Fletcher, who I think it's since sort of shown he, he is a player at that level absolutely uh, i think we got him maybe when he's a little bit low on confidence um but all the players that we basically brought in were sort of loan deals and and young boys i think it was clark salter and uh, Ajaria, who have both actually gone on to be fine at that level since like since but you also had the situation with lewis graben as well i mean of all the seasons you've had in football, I imagine something sticks out for many, many reasons. But the January transfer window—how how difficult was that?
0: Yeah, very, very difficult indeed. You know, we we had our hands tied behind our back and blindfolded. It was—it like, <laughs> literally felt like that. You know, so we had we had like no money to to buy anyone, and it was only generating money for loans. Now, Martin Bain absolutely worked his socks off with us in in conjunction with me and Chris and trying to get deals over the line and it was a really frustrating time for all of us. But we managed to do a bit of business and again we were hoping that would have been enough to to maybe just get us over the line and just keep us up. Um and there were signs, you know, we there were there were little signs that it was gonna I mean the Derby away, for example, things like you thinking this could click, but then something else would go wrong and would there'd be another problem, another issue and you know, it was frustrating because it it was there. You know, like I say, certainly that derby away game. I remember just before Christmas we beat Fulham at home when Magga scored. And yeah, you're thinking a really good side Fulham, so on a great run, and you're thinking, well, that could be a turning point. And then like there were false dawns, and we got you know, obviously we got smashed in Sheffield United on Boxing Day, whatever, and then lose to Barnsley at home on New Year's Day or whatever it was. So, you know, you get one little step forward and then sort of two steps back and you're thinking, oh, it's just so frustrating. And then, like I say, the derby game where it's a brilliant performance, you know, really good, solid team performance and some really good goals scored and you're thinking, me, we're all right here. Yeah? And then you go and suffer more setbacks and, you know, injury blows and blah, 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 this, that and the other. And it was incredible. Like I say, basically, like I say, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of help, we would have been okay but um yeah we didn't we didn't get either
1: one of the the big things that i suppose sometimes gets pointed at about the january transfer window what maybe Losing Lewis Graben was looking back probably quite big. Ashley Fletcher didn't hit the ground running as much as I think many of us expected and, and thought he would. Whereas Graben was criticised in some quarters, but he seemed to know where the net was. What what was sort of the thinking behind that?
0: Listen, Grab's made it quite clear he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I know Lewis from from years ago. I had him um, at Crystal Palace. I used to take the reserves at Palace, so I, I knew him from a long, long time ago. Yeah, and knew what a good player. I mean, at, at youth level for Palace, he phenomenal goal scorer, you know, and, and all the way through his career be fair, he like he, he knows where the where the back of the net is, that's for sure. Um, and obviously was was the club's leading scorer when we were there. But it was quite clear he, he he wanted to go and we had to try and get another striker in. And it was I mean we, we looked at so many different people on loan and some clubs were charging um, like, you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand for a loan fee. For like a young player to come in, you're like it's ridiculous. It was yeah. it's absolutely crazy market. Um, people knew we were sort of desperate, so they put the price up. But they knew we were desperate and had no money. So you're like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, like, it's kind of productive, you know. And, and also, we were looking at a few experienced ones and a few younger ones. And um, you know, the young ones we'd go and give game time to. And even some of the experienced ones we were looking at weren't weren't getting game time at their clubs, which is why they'd be allowed out on loan. So it would have been a could have been a win win situation, but. Again, unfortunately, it didn't come about. We we were very happy in the end to get to get Fletch over the line. That was touch and go, but we got that over the line. And, and as you say, he's he's a really good player. He's a, he's a lovely lad. Yeah, uh, really good boy, and a good player. There's a good player in there without a doubt. And he just wanted that that little bit of confidence. And I remember it, You know, he's thinking again back to that Derby game. Derby away. Oh, he's phenomenal. Think he? this could be it. He, he, fantastic. Was and this was really phenomenal. That's what that's what we expected. I mean, I remember seeing him on loan at Barnsley um, a few years before. And I was saying to Chris, this is what the boy can do. You know, I watched him in a playoff final against Brentford, I think it was. And uh, I went to the game and like, he played really well. And I think he scored the first goal, whatever. And I'm like, he's, he's a good boy. He's a really good, good boy. This was a couple of years ago. I said, he'd be better for it now. Um, but again, it was difficult coming in to that environment. Um, I mean, lots of people described it as a toxic toxic environment, and there there was an element of that. You know, I got that, and it it was very difficult for anyone to go out there and play. Like, so we, we talked about Cats and Shays. It's difficult for them, and they've yeah. played at the highest level for years and years. Um, it was difficult for them to to deal with it and cope with it. But so for young boys to have to go and do it, or inexperienced players, it, it's even harder. So I do. I sort of sympathise with, with what a lot of the players went through. And again, I've been in similar situations at, at Man City and it's not easy. It's really, really tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever get a chance to meet with Ella Short?
0: No, um, nor did Chris. We had, there was no contact whatsoever, not a text or a email or a phone call or anything. There was zero contact from day one.
1: Have you ever had that at um, club before?
0: No, no, of course not. Absolutely not. That's uh, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So um, no, it's something we we obviously we didn't expect. We we knew there wasn't a lot of money there, but we we expected a little bit of money to be made available in January and for Chris to have some sort of relationship with the owner. But there was zero contact from right from day one. That was it. You know, he <laughs> thought there might have even been a a good luck text or something, but <laughs> absolutely nothing at all. I think which made it quite clear he'd had enough of it really yeah. and just wanted out
1: so i suppose then it, it brings me to martin bain and i mean i think i'll openly admit i think martin bain in a lot of quarters is probably seen in a negative light at sunland that's certainly the feeling how was your own personal relationship with martin if he would have been i imagine the person that you would have directly reported to with ella short being completely absent
0: yeah well everything was, was dealt with and done through martin so yeah um no me, me and Chris both had a an excellent relationship with him, and it he couldn't have been more supportive uh for us now <laughs> when yeah. I say that he obviously didn't have a magic wand and he couldn't <laughs> get the owner to give any money um but for everything he could do he we couldn't have asked for any more from him and, and we worked really closely with him during like i say during that transfer window that we had um he was up all hours trying to get things done and and we were getting so many doors slammed in our face. It was, it was untrue. Uh, it was a really sort of frustrating, soul destroying time. Um, and in the end, like I said, we got a few deals done and I was sort of delighted and relieved we managed to do then. But, you know, in reality, it wasn't as much as what we'd hoped for or what we'd hoped for. But, it was. It, it took a lot of hard work to get anything over the line because, like I say, everything was just going wrong, and people were, you know, not returning calls, sort of shutting doors in our faces, and it was very, very difficult. Obviously, the finances weren't there. Obviously, the Rodwell situation. Come back to that. Jack said he'd, he'd go, which would freed up that money then, but then didn't want to go, so it was still on the wage bill. So there's nothing we could do with that. So it was. You know the whole situation was really frustrating and yeah. annoying. But Martin, from, from from my point of view, and certainly from Chris's I know, um, was excellent. And again, I think we, we're talking about maybe cats and Chasey, people who don't you know stand up and don't shy away or, or duck down and dodge the bullets. These are the ones that, that get the abuse and get the stick. And yeah. and Martin, I put in the same category as that. You know he. Um, he wanted what was best for the club. He's there, he's paid his way to do a job and he worked his socks off and, and did it to the best of his ability and and gave everything he could for that for that football club. And like from our point of view, he was was very, very supportive.
1: Another big pullout, I suppose, from the season, and again, it's from a fan's perspective, I suppose, which could be very, very different when you're inside a football club. The one thing I remember picking out, Sunderland have always had fantastic goalkeepers no matter how poor we've been no matter how good we've been we've always had the likes of Pickford Minulay, Sorensen uh, all the way back to Jimmy Montgomery now that particular season just seemed to be a season where no matter which goalkeeper we signed there was just a mistake that happened in it and I mean you look at Lee Camp now and he's He's not really that well-loved at for for those reasons. But at Birmingham, he's he's playing in the Championship and Birmingham fans seem to to absolutely love him. Um, I think with the confidence being so low, the likes of Lee Camp, Jason Steele and, and Robin Reuter, when they were making mistakes and things like that, was it really difficult to lift them?
0: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, listen, goalkeepers, it's, it's a lonely position, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and you make a mistake. And, you know, other players make a mistake. You can run around a little bit. And not, I say, not high, but you can get... But, Keepers have got to just stand there and you know take all the flack and the abuse and you can know, hear stuff that's coming from the stands and that very 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 difficult job and yeah. as I said just my first experience was that was that Millwall game at home where where Robin a bit, a bit of a stinker for both of both yeah. of the goals but then you know was it Jordan Archer I think. Uh, in goal for them who made two mistakes as well for it was,
1: yeah, he put he pushed one in on that net. bizarre goal. Adam Matthews. Adam Matthews. Adam
0: yeah. Matthews cross, was it? He's he the Adam his shot, and not a chance No. It was not a bad cross, is what it was. It was
1: a terrible cross. It was going over the bar until I pushed it in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um so but that's you know, that summed up, you know, the, the life of the goalkeeper, just that one game, you know, all four goals, bad mistakes by the keepers. So But it was yeah, it was difficult. For everyone and, and like I say, in especially the home games, I think that that atmosphere was was difficult for yeah. players to play in, you know, and I, don't get me wrong i 'm not uh, criticizing anyone for that atmosphere because this was born out of years of frustration and yeah. in being treated badly and not the wrong things happening to their football club, so I get it. I, I completely understand it and, and get it entirely. We we were trying to lift things and improve things and the atmosphere and the environment and all this and so, so difficult, so difficult to do.
1: How was the, the I mean, the, the derby game lifted everyone and I think we played Sheffield Wednesday on the Monday because I think it was Easter Friday, Easter Monday. The Sheffield Wednesday game didn't go I think many people have hoped and we didn't actually play bad that day it was just it was a case of that season just little mistakes and we got punished but when we actually got relegated for yourself and Chris and how do you take that disappointment and try and turn it into a positive for the players for the remaining games of the season?
0: So it's, it is very difficult you know there's no getting away from it it's get, getting relegated at any club is, is tough it's hard but when it's a massive club when I, again going back I, I had it at Man City you know a huge club like that getting relegated to League 1 it's it's very tough because there's such a huge level of expectancy. Yeah, and clubs like Sunderland, Man City, maybe they should be playing in League One. But no. listen, if things are not done properly off the field, anyone can end up there. Any club, and, and you know, Sunderland are a great example. Man City are a great example. Doesn't matter how big you are, whether you can have you know thirty five thousand supporters watching you. If things are not done right off the pitch over a number of years, it's going to come back and bite you. And you can end up in, you know, languishing in League One or whatever. It's it's horrible, but it's it's a fact of life. And it, it but it goes on over a number of years. You know, if things are run badly for year after year. That's where you're going to end up. And that's how it's going to happen. And it happened at City, and it, it happened at Sunderland. So I just hope, uh, really hope, to God, now, obviously, <laughs> You look at Man City, what's happened to them subsequently. So you know, there's a, certainly a light at the end of the tunnel. when you're thinking, well. You know, with the right levels of investment and things are done in the right way, yeah, great. Sunderland can get themselves back up there because that's where they should be. You know, playing playing top five football.
1: I just keep trying to convince myself that we're going to be the next Sheffield United. We'll
0: get back. Well, why not? Do you know what I mean? Not, what I yeah. say, but but it, it for me certainly it's it's massively linked with things being di- done in the right way off the pitch. Yeah. You know, obviously everyone sees the day to the, well the the Saturday to Saturday on the pitch, but this is a you know what you're seeing now is generally. Down to what's been happening for the last sort of six months a year, whatever, and the recruitment process, and blah blah blah, all the all the things that are necessary to make your football club successful. So mm-hmm. it's um, you know it can be very difficult for you know yeah. you can change the coaches, change the manager, but he's coming in to work with the same group of players, and that's the recruitment's huge. Now, unless that, I and mean, we we've already spoken about the recruitment of Sunderland. Yeah, um, it, it over a period of, of previous three four years and still it was horrific (laughs) and still unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) wow you'd know more than that about that now that's
1: the opinion of the host obviously it didn't happen but before you knew obviously that you were going to be leaving the club how much were you looking forward or both of you looking forward to getting the club back into the championship or having a real good go at it in league one and coming straight back up and getting a bit of positivity back in the club
0: well what, what we were doing was long before the relegation was was, was was certain, um, you know, you, you've got to start putting plans in place. So we, we were having to get sort of two lists of players going. So one for championship and one for league one. So we were already looking at worst case scenario because, you know, without that, that was a possibility. So as much as we were confident and we, we honestly thought like by hook or by crook, we could keep the club in the championship, we also knew realistically there's a, well, there was a strong chance that, that we could be in League One. And if that was to happen, we were planning for the type of players and who we were going to bring in to help us get out of League One. Um, so long before the final game of the season, obviously, you know, things have got to be put in place, especially the, the lack of budget. <laughs> we knew we had to be creative with who we were going to bring in. Potentially and and stuff like that. So there is already a lot of work. had already been a lot of meetings, so on and so forth, with Martin about planning for League One. Should that have, have happened, which obviously yeah. it did in the end. And then also flip side, if we stayed up, these are the type of players we need to bring in because we knew the squad needed changing and freshening up, no matter what. Yeah, you know, there was no two ways about that. It was, was going to be a big job in that summer, um, whichever division we were in. Um, and we were we were you know. Like I say, once once the relegation had actually happened, we were obviously bitterly disappointed as everyone was. But then we were very much a case of right, roll our sleeves up and and let's you know, start putting the plans that we'd already made into place to to get us out of League One.
1: With the sale of the club, I think it was really well documented and, and you would have felt it being part of the club based on the fact that Ellishott wasn't really there. I think everyone knew that as soon as something half-decent came along There was going to be uh, a takeover. Were you always kept sort of up-to-date with what was actually happening with the takeover or did it kind of come as a surprise when it came along that Stuart Donald had bought the club?
0: We knew, like you said, we we knew that the previous owner wanted to sell it. Yeah. So we we weren't, and there were lots of different rumours and lots of different people, certain parties did come to look at the club. Yeah. Um... To buy it, potentially to buy it, but a lot of people, there's a lot of messes. A lot of people that didn't have the funds to actually finance it or run it, and wouldn't have passed a fit and proper person test or whatever, you know. So, yeah, yeah. but we knew there were a lot of people. So we, we knew as soon as he could get the owner to get one over the line, he, he'd just take it. Yeah, he just wanted out, you know, because it was clear. Cause like I said, we had we'd had zero contact with him at all, so he wanted just wanted rid at uh, almost any cost or whatever. So there was no big surprise, I suppose, when it was uh, when, when we found out that the club was being being sold. So you it know, wasn't the biggest shock in the world to anyone, I don't think.
1: Was it um, simultaneous? Because obviously I remember the day it happened and it was like Chris Coleman was sacked and everyone was like, What, what, what the second him for? That's, that's not really his fault. And then literally 50 seconds later, it was like the club's been took over. Did you find out in that manner or was <laughs> it a little bit more structured for yourself?
0: No, pretty much like that to be honest it was um oh, craggy yeah it was a bit it was the whole thing was it was very messy without a doubt and it was so it was obvious to everyone uh us included it was because of the takeover and mm-hmm. you know the new ownership wanted their their own new manager in which is you know it's fine um because like i say it was literally i mean the announcement it was minutes yeah between them but we'd, yeah, I'd, I'd been told just the, you know, the day before that um, uh, that was it, sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's so it's very, listen, very sad. But yeah. you know, I understand I, football; I do understand it, and and we all move on and just like I say, from, certainly from mine and Chris, it's, it's a brilliant club. And we just we just wish it all the best, the club and the supporters, and a lot of the good people that that are still there. I mean, a lot of them unfortunately have had to leave. Due to different reasons and yeah. cutbacks and so on, because there was some some brilliant staff there. I'll say that that was a problem. That the, the group of players we had was was such a mishmash. But the actual staff, a lot of the staff were were brilliant, really really good. Yeah. And it was it was run like a very very strong Premier League club still. Yeah. Off the you know the staffing staffing wise, and the the physios and the fitness guys were excellent. They're you know, you go to Joyce and Patrick in the kitchen, like you <laughs> know, and and the, the food and things like that were, were excellent. A lot, a lot of it was done really, really well. And I was, I was, I was very surprised walking into it because I'm thinking as a championship club, well, bottom of the championship club, yeah. You know, you didn't expect things to be of of, of that level. Uh, but a lot of the, like I say, a lot of the staff were brilliant, really, really good.
1: With the the podcast itself obviously it was a, it was a really difficult six month and I'll be honest with you I love Sunderland a bits but I, I I don't envy the time that you had having to manage that and it's particularly the way it ended but everyone that I've interviewed just about that I've spoke to that's played at Sunderland be it 10 years be it 10 days be it 10 seconds there's something about Sunderland that stuck with them so I really want to end it on a positive what was your best memory of Sunderland what what's the one thing that you sort of take with you and you still think you know what I'm pleased I did that?
0: Well, like I said, we, had, we had certain games, you know, you mm-hmm. think of like the, the Fulham game, the Derby game, there were certain games that are brilliant, even like Wolves away, where cats get sent off and we draw yeah. nil-nil, they're flying at the top of the table and we get a nil-nil, real resolute battling point. You know, so there were, there were lots of highs on the pitch. Yeah. Um, well, not lots, actually, a few. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe not some, lots, there's some might good be moments. The pitch, but, yeah, bur- but there were some few, some few real good ones. But just generally the, the North East as a whole I absolutely loved it and I've I'd, I'd been up playing football obviously for you know Portsmouth Man City and Fulham and, and things like this so I've been up there quite a bit but I'd never actually really experienced the North East and mm-hmm. um, so we went out we we, we got um, roped in initially Martin Bain roped, we did the the charity cycle ride for Little Bradley yeah. and um, so we had to do a little bit of training for this we started going out just in the in the countryside it's like incredible beautiful Countries and I, I rented a flat out in out and that just the coastline and the it beauty is so incredible. And I'd never expected it to be like this, you know, sort of yeah. soft summer moving up. I lived in Manchester, <laughs> granted you said years, it, but, but but suddenly coming over to the to the northeast, I wasn't expecting it to be like as as beautiful and as incredible as it was. Like the the scenery in the countryside, and I've got to say, the people were brilliant, and even. I've got to say this, even like going like, you know, timeout obviously was a lot of black and whites there. Yeah. All of the Newcastle fans who we spoke to were actually, and I think they seemed pretty genuine, Yeah, wished us all the best and they wanted Sunderland to stay up and they wanted, they wanted the rivalry, I get that, but they also wanted it to be like a close rivalry, I think, and
1: yeah.
0: Sunderland to be to still be there and, and, and fighting and stuff like that. So it was just genuine, nice people. And yeah. like I said, we met an awful lot of friends, but a lot of people I still keep in touch with Good. Um, now from from our time at the club. And it was, yeah, so that, that sort of surprised me a little bit. I didn't expect the countryside and the coastline to be as, as beautiful and as incredible as it was. People I like knew were friendly, but also I was a little bit taken aback at just how sort of genuine and friendly the people were and it was yeah so that that was and I say listen it didn't work out but I don't regret it for one minute you know I was assistant manager of Sunderland massive club fantastic football club great history and it was an honour for me it was an honour and a privilege to be assistant manager of that club and you know who knows could be back there one day things you know (laughs) stranger things have happened in football yeah oh yeah Um, we'll see
1: Kit, absolute pleasure mate absolute pleasure
0: my pleasure no problem at all no I hope it wasn't Glad it was right.
1: Too much PTSD Going back over that season <laughs>
0: <laughs> No it like, like I say It is it, it, frustrating And Going Going back over it. But yeah I mean the, It's like I say on. The the problems The problems that we had With that squad I mean Gibbo was You know Just <laughs> one of the biggest ones because he was like yeah. sort of out of the picture and then started playing brilliant for us
1: he was he was superb in that really, really well. then pulled his groin against Redding
0: yeah around and then the lips, yeah exactly Rips literally. well pulled his groin he ripped the groin off the bone yeah so he so, did like, that's literally, right literally you know, one of them so you're like fucking know. and then obviously he was <laughs> further on as well but just we had so many just troubled souls and you think you know you might get one of them at a club but we had like
1: 25 we had
0: four, <laughs> five, six, seven. you know whatever yeah so many issues, it was absolutely incredible within one changing room.
1: That's on though. <laughs> We've well, never it, well, changed in my life, well,
0: it's, it's what you become sort yeah, of used to, but you, then you think back to like Borley. You know, I used to play against Sunderland when it was like Borley and Quinny and Kev Phillips and people. And you're thinking you had some real good lads, then you know, some oh, real absolutely. characters. Don't get me wrong, I'm Alex Ray, players like that who've, who've had their problems, but they were good lads, probably good lads. Ray. And, and, Fighting scrap for each other. I saw him in the summer. See, I was over in Portugal and he's. Um, I went to I, I, I looked, did a little bit with Millwall in the summer, like looking at yeah. a training camp. And uh, Alex was over with him. So I saw him briefly. Yeah, I had a good chat with
1: him. Oh, he's a fabulous blog. He's, he's the, probably the funniest man I've ever met.
0: Probably. he's, yeah, he's, good he's yeah. Robert, oh, a good actually, player as well. A great yeah. player.
1: Actually, highly underrated was Alex Ray. Highly underrated, I felt. Um, Lee Clark, as well. Obviously, another person in that team that might not be well liked because of how he left the club, but someone you would have had at Fulham, <laughs> I think, I would imagine.
0: Well, Nash, yeah, I, I know Nash really well, yeah. So, um, yeah, he was, I mean, great player again, yeah. Very, very good. He he's brilliant when he came to Fulham. But great for us. He, he played in that, obviously, that, um, that game when I played for City for the yeah. first league game at the stadium. Yeah, but, really good player, Clarky.
1: Great player, bad taste in t shirts.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not advisable. He's a shit drinker. That's what it was. He's pissed. He's fucking rubbish. he's still is. Yeah. Dog shit drinker, Clarkie.
1: I've go. heard that once or twice, I'll there be honest. Go.